I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. If you like what you hear, please follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and also at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Today's sponsor is Blue Land Cleaning. Blue Land is an eco-friendly cleaning products company on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic packaging. They offer their products as a set of reusable bottles, along with cleaning tablets that you simply add to warm water to make a full bottle of hand soap or cleaning solution. Also founded by a mom with a three-year-old son. My kids loved making all these products with me. And now we have these amazing glass bottles and all different color hues uh, that make cleaning a little bit more fun, especially during quarantine. I am going to be joined today by Maria Quiban Whitesell, who wrote an amazing memoir called You Can't Do It Alone. And just by way of bio, and then I'll invite her to join us, Maria Quiban Whitesell, I hope I pronounced that right, greets millions of Los Angeles viewers daily each morning as Fox 11's meteorologist. The Whitesell family, including Maria, her late husband, Sean, and his brother, Patrick, are among big entertainment families in Hollywood. Sean was a writer and producer for television shows, including HBO's Oz, Fox's House, and AMC's The Killing. Maria herself has been on the air and praised by Danica McKellar, Dr. Oz, Lisa Gibbons, and so many more. And she has also been on shows as a meteorologist, including my kids' favorite show right now, which they are in the other room watching. Ryan's Mystery Playdate, not Playhouse. So anyway, let's talk to Maria. Her book is sad, amazing. It's called You Can't Do It Alone, A Widow's Journey Through Loss, Grief, and Life After. And it is inspiring and she is amazing and I cannot wait to talk to her. So here we go. Hi, how are you? (laughs) Hi, can you hear me okay? Hello. Yes, hi, how are you? I'm well, thank you. I caught a little bit of the uh, introduction. That is so awesome that they watch Ryan's play date. Yes. So fun. <laughs> I actually emailed your publicist as I was researching earlier today and I was telling the kids, I was like, later today, the, the person I'm interviewing has been on the show and they were like, we want to watch it. So I, I emailed and I was like, could you send me a link to the episode so they can, I was hoping they could watch while we did this, but they're watching another oh. episode. So I'll find it. Yeah, I'll <laughs> It's so funny because we did it, or I did it last year, and I've, I haven't even posted that. I should try to grab it and post it because that is such a fun segment that we did. And I brought my young son with us because he's a fan. He's nine, and I think Ryan just turned nine, so uh, they were really close in age, and they got to say hello. So that was really it was a really fun experience to go to Nickelodeon. It was it was amazing. I bet. <laughs> yeah. I bet that sounds amazing. They were telling me all about the mystery play date and how exciting it could be. And and anyway, whatever. Sounds like a a big hit. So (laughs) it was fun. It was really fun to do. And I saw you from afar. I'm sure you wouldn't remember. I've been on Good Day LA twice and I feel like I saw you like through hair and makeup and I was like, oh my gosh. But anyway. Oh my gosh. Well, belated virtual hugs. I'm a hugger and that's why this time is so hard. But okay, next time you come in, we'll have to plan it. So definitely we'll talk. Hopefully we'll get back to normal soon. Oh, that would be nice. I am so ready. (laughs) I read your book, which was, oh my gosh, First of all, now I feel like I like you and I have already had a three-hour talk that you didn't know oh. that we had. You know, it was so good and so heartfelt, and all the stuff you've been through. I'm so sorry for your loss. I I, I really am. I know it was a while ago now, but I am sorry that you've had to go through this in your life. And anyway, I just wanted to start by saying that. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, four years now, but it it really doesn't feel like it. Sometimes I'll wake up and think, was that really? 
four years ago. It does feel like it was just four months ago sometimes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I loved how in your book, you not only tell your story, but you give tips for anybody reading it and not even from you, from your co-author, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Lauren Schneider. I was really, really lucky and fortunate to partner up with a licensed clinician who is also an educator and such an expert on grief and loss and uh, specifically as well with children. So my story was sort of the way in. And I think everyone can relate to my story to some degree. And Lauren just takes out the the, the nuggets and, and the pockets and really expands it so that it can apply to many other people dealing with some sort of, of loss or grief. Doesn't necessarily have to be the exact same disease that my husband had gone through. Would you feel comfortable telling sort of the the story of of what happened, the, the oh, yeah, short version? Or I know I feel bad asking you. I mean, I know no, you must no. tell it a lot, but it's it must be upsetting to I don't know. You know, to 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 some degree, I did have a live. I think it was yesterday, and it does make me sad to some degree to talk about it, but it's more importantly, really a way for me to heal my heart. And to talk about it has been really good for me. So I am embracing, hopefully more of these lives and more of these chats. So I can talk about not just our experience and also about the book, but but mainly really to talk about our love story. And, and it really helps me to bring back those joyful memories that I have about my husband and my son's father. And I can tell you, I can go back to really quick how we had lived this amazing love story and we got married late in life. Later anyway, I had been through a divorce and and I was a single mom already when I met him. I had a 16-year-old son by that time. So I was kind of done with children and I thought, you know what, I'm at the prime of my career and my life. So when I met Sean, it was kind of a surprise to meet this really perfect guy for me. He wasn't perfect by any means, uh, but he was perfect for me. And we had just had our baby and he was three years old at the time. And so we hadn't traveled much like any new mom and dad, right? So Gus is our son and he was three years old at the time. And so we decided to go on this big trip to Paris. And we had never been to Paris, certainly not together in this really romantic trip. So we went on this trip together and leading up to that trip, we really hadn't spent too much time with each other. We were kind of like passing ships, you know, we worked all the time. And so a lot of the kind of strange behavior that he had been displaying I could justify it because he was working hard and late. I was too. So when we were in this beautiful city of Paris, he was acting very strange. The symptoms were all there, not just forgetfulness, but just really strange behavior. He would want to sleep in. He didn't want to get up and run around the city like he normally would. He was the planner of our trips and he didn't want to do that. He wanted to sleep in and little things would confuse him, like even getting a cab and he was the guy that lived in New York City for for many years. So for him to be confused about the concept of trying to hail a cab was was not right. So I made him promise to see a doctor when we got back home. And and every day on that trip, he got progressively worse. And so I was very, very concerned. And by the time we got back home and uh, make the appointment, it was two weeks. And exactly two weeks from when we landed, received the bad news that he had brain tumors 
and he had had something called glioblastoma, which was a progressive disease, malignant cancer in the brain, which there was no cure for. And there still is, there is no cure for that. And so we had very limited time together and we got in total 18 months, amazing months together before he died. I'm so sorry. The great news is that you, I feel like you brought him to life through the telling of all of the stories about him. Not even like, I love how you include not just the good, but the annoying or like how when you were dating at the beginning and you decided to split up for a little bit and he wasn't quite ready. And then it took reuniting at a, you know, crowded (laughs) venue. It was Bruce. Bruce Springsteen brought us together (laughs) again. That's great because that, that is what life is like. Life isn't perfect. So you don't always have fireworks and things go according to plan. And obviously things have not gone exactly the way from, you know, from day one. And anyway, I'm just sorry. (laughs) I'm really sorry. How did you decide after going through this painful process to turn this into a book? Had you wanted to write a book? Were you, what was the impetus for turning this into a memoir? Well, first of all, I've never written anything in my life. My husband would beg to differ. He was the writer in our family. His job was writing. He wrote for episodic television. So he was used to writing stories, not just from television, but he would write short stories and things like that. And I would always be the one running into his office and say, hey, here's an idea for a story. And he would listen to my crazy ideas and he would say, now go write it. And I think, no, I'm, I'm not the writer. He goes, yes, you are a writer. But I've, I had never written anything. Even my job working as a meteorologist and, and anchor at, on Good Day LA here in Los Angeles at Fox, I don't read a prompter. I don't write things normally. I just, I ad lib everything. So writing is not my first strong skill set. And so when Sean was diagnosed and we were asking our whys, you know, if something really tragic happens to you, I'm sure you can relate. Like, why did this happen to us? Why? We didn't do anything wrong or bad. And so we, we had so many moments of asking why to God, you know, and part of it had to be that we I wore a microphone every day. Sean wrote every day. And so we thought, you know what, maybe we need to write this story because there is no cure for brain cancer. There's not very much information out there about glioblastoma. So maybe it is because of that, that we need to write about it, bring more awareness and bring more funding to find research. So that was kind of our goal at the time. Never really planning on him dying. Not at all. We always held on to the hope that he would be part of that 5% that would live much longer than he did. And so, um, you know, over time after he died, I, I didn't really think about it too much until a couple of people brought it to my attention. And I went, oh yeah, you know, that was a, a promise I made to him and a, a promise I made to myself. And so about a year and a half after he died, I picked it up, the idea, and I got on my computer and I started writing and remembering the things that we had gone through. And what was that process like? Easy, hard, a lot? It was, it was a lot. It was hard. It was cathartic. There were a lot of tears. And up until this point, it was everything. Even doing the audiobook for the book, I was in a studio, recording studio, and it was the first time that I had really read the book in its entirety out loud. And uh, that was a 
totally different experience. And it was all those emotions coming back, like it had just happened. And I was grateful for it because I felt even closer to Sean. And so I just look at that as a gift. There was pain, but there was so much joy as well. And we have our son. And so I have to look at that. I have to look at the gifts that I have because of it, you know? And it was so moving in the book how you talked about how you can see you know, his face and Gus's face and that as Gus is getting older, it brings you closer to Sean in a way as well. Just Absolutely. Sort of happy, yeah. sad, happy, sad type of moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and the part of the book that, not, not the only part, one of the parts that I felt like tied on the heartstrings the most is how you had to deal with yourself and deal with your child at the same time. Like you're already going through this enormous period of grief and loss. And yet even that first night, even as it's happening, you're taking Gus into consideration. And of course you are because you're a mom and that's like what moms do is think about the kids. But, you know, even just ushering, like when he actually dies and having to like not decide, should I tell Gus or should I wait till the morning? And then Gus being upset. It's like, it's just like, oh my gosh. It was just so that was emotional. Hard. That, that, that was really hard. I've got to say telling or not telling Gus to, well, waking him up, you know, at that moment was really difficult for me. And I made that decision sort of that night about not waking him up because Sean had died in the middle of the night. And Lauren Schneider, who also authored uh, the clinical part of the book, I shouldn't say air quotes, but Lauren Schneider, who, who helps many children go through grief, there was a moment where we did discuss sort of this pain that Gus went through because he really did feel a lot of anger that I didn't wake him up to say goodbye to daddy. But I, I reminded him that that night before he went to bed, he did say goodnight. He did say, I love you. And he said it many times before, but specifically that night. And so I apologized to him that I didn't make that decision for him at the time. But this is why it's so important to seek family therapy because I didn't have the right words to say during that day that he happened to bring it up and ask me why I didn't wake him up. But I couldn't have done what I did. We couldn't have gone through what we've gone through and continue to go through today without our family counselor, our village, I like to say. But I... I'm, I just, I know that I couldn't have done it alone. And I think that's why we decided to type the book. You can't do it alone. And you need to have a village. You need to find your, your, your people. And I know some people might be saying, well, you know what? I don't have family. I don't have um, a circle of friends like you did, Maria. And I say, you're actually wrong because of this, we have technology. We have the ability to actually find our village ourselves. And so I encourage you to do that because it's really important for your heart, for you, and for the people who are helping you. Don't deprive them of helping you because helping does heal and it feels good to help other people. So please invite that in your life. I was really struck by how your in-laws and your family and just everybody rallied and how great that was. I mean, you're right. Not everybody has that same support system in place, but it is possible to reach out and to go beyond your comfort zone to get what you need. I and mean, it's really, especially with a child or children involved, you, you need that. You, you just, it's like not an option. Yeah, absolutely. You really need to seek it out. In fact, there was somebody who I met recently who had heard the audiobook, 
And he got something from my book, which was so great. He, it was such a compliment because he said, you know what, Maria, my wife is disabled and I guess he's had to be her caregiver for a number of years. And he said, I've always took pride in the fact that I could do this myself. Like I didn't need help and I want to do this on my own. But he said, you're right. I need to go ask for some help sometimes. And and I'm going to do that. I'm going to go do it. And I thought, wow, that's great. I'm so glad that at least, you know, I've helped in some way. So that's my hope is that the book can resonate and can help in some way, you know, for you watching or for, for other people. Has Gus read your book? No, not the whole book, but I read him some parts of the book and he asked if I was, if he was in it. He goes, am I in it, mom? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I couldn't tell this story without you, Gus. You're an integral part of this story. And I think, you know, your experience is going to help other kids. And so I think he's looking forward to that, maybe talking about it himself. So he's nine, he's a little shy, but <laughs> he's turning into a little bit of a ham bone. <laughs> I've been working from home doing the weather. And so he's kind of snuck into my broadcast here and there. So he's getting getting a little bit of the bug, you know, the lights and stuff. (laughs) How, when you were going through this, you have such a public facing job and you have to be on and you have to look up and peppy and be energetic and like, just be on. How do you do that when inside you're feeling so awful? Oh, I know. I definitely have my moments and I definitely have my days. And there are days when I don't want to smile and I don't want to seem like the happiest person in the world because inside I don't feel that way. But inevitably, I put on the smile, whether it's an artificial smile at first, I kind of force the smile. But at some point, I get lost in my work or I get lost in the day. So there's a way to compartmentalize your thoughts. And so I've been able to do that. And generally when it's time for me to go to work, I do sort of put away that Maria and I put on the Maria I'm at work mode. And I also look at it as an escape. It's kind of my excuse to not feel so sad and bad and depressed, if you know what I mean. So in a way, the work has been really good for me. It has allowed me to at least escape from some of the sadness that I can feel quite a bit, actually. So I'm grateful. I'm grateful for my job and I'm grateful for the opportunity to just not be in that place of sadness for a part of my day. Yeah. And I look at Gus, I look at him, inevitably I will laugh because he is a funny kid. So I, I try to just balance it out, balance it out. And what, what is coming next for you now? Do you want to like take this on the road and be like a grief resource to people? Is that, or do you just want to get your story out and sort of move on or write another book or what, what are, what are you thinking? Oh my gosh. Um, you know, all of the above. I don't know. I'm going to just take it one day at a time. And that's sort of been my motto since all of this happened. I, I feel like I've been in crisis mode since mm-hmm. Sean was diagnosed back in 2014. And I've learned to just kind of, retrain myself to not think too far ahead in the future and just think about today and just a real short term. I'm really proud of myself for finishing the book actually, because it's been a few years in the making. And so I just want to just take that in and just enjoy the fact that I have finished it. And I would love to talk more about it And I had planned to travel and go on this concept of a book tour, 
which I, in my mind, it's kind of glamorous. <laughs> but obviously, I've had to pivot from those plans. So we're thinking of different ways of getting the word out for the book, because ultimately, I really want it to help not just families who have just been diagnosed with glioblastoma or brain cancer, but any debilitating disease or anyone who have just suffered a loss going through some grief. I, I really hope that this book can provide some kind of encouragement to say you aren't alone. So that's my main focus when it comes to the book. I'd love to write another book. I mean, now I can say I've got one. I could try to sit down and do another. I always ask for help from Sean, the writer. I feel like he really wrote this book, a lot of it, because I would always call out his name and I talked to him out loud all the time. But uh, maybe a movie. I don't know. I kind of, I'm, I'm just putting it out there. I would love to see a movie made of the book in some way. I'd love to, again, get the word out about glioblastoma and the need for, for research and a cure for it. Wow. Maybe there's some way you can partner. I mean, I feel like there's so many people who need what you wrote right in that moment. Like people need to know it. Like maybe there's some way to partner. You've probably thought about all this with hospitals or funeral homes even, or just ways to get the book right when people need it, right when they're grieving. It would be so powerful or grief groups. I mean, anyway, whatever you could, I'm sure you have marketing people on the case, but on the case. Um, you know, to as many people as, as I can. I mean, we can all relate to, you know, loss. I think everyone has gone through that in the world. So, so I'd like to get it into as many people's hands as I can. It's a short read. You know, you talk about moms who don't have time to read. I purposely made it really short because I'm one of those people who just, I, I don't have much time, but this is, you can get through this in a day. And I, you know, I hope, I hope you get something out of it. And thank you so much for reading it. Uh, means oh, so course. much to me. It was so great. Much. It was, uh, it really, it felt like I was reading, like I was just like sitting, talking to you, like I said, that you were just telling me the story. And I feel, I always feel so privileged when someone decides to become an author and share their story like that. And that I get to sit there and, and read and be a part of something so private in their lives that then I get to take that experience and and it helps me. So anyway, thank you. <laughs> no, no, thank you. I, I'm a reader as well. I love books. And just a real quick sidebar story. Sean and I are both lovers of books and he's a writer, like I said, but we got married in a library because that's how much we oh, love books. Yeah. That's so yeah. What, what kind of books, books do you like? What are your, some of your favorite types of books to read if you can't think of any specific? Oh, well, I'm a huge, I, I love all genres. I love horror. So I'm a big Stephen King fan. The first book that I ever, ever fell in love with, like, well, I shouldn't say, but it was back Island of the Blue Dolphins. I was a little kid, but that was really where my love of reading started. Do you, are you familiar with that book, no. Island of the Blue Dolphins? And then I got into V.C. Andrews, of course, wow. and all the, you know, attic books. But the book that really changed my life was Leo Boscalia. And uh, he wrote a book called Living, Loving and Learning. And that was that will forever be one of my top 10 books ever to read and reread. So if, if you haven't yet picked it up, I encourage you to do it. He is the author of love. And so this book could change your life. I don't know. It changed my life. Definitely. Wow. All right. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for coming on the podcast, the Instagram live. And thanks for sharing oh. your sad experience, which has become an inspiring one for, and a, and a helpful one for so many other people. So very selfless of you to do. Thank, thank you so much for having me on. And I look forward to seeing you on when you come back to Good Day LA. Yes, that'd be great. <laughs> okay. Bye, Maria.
Bye. Bye. Thanks again for listening to my podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you liked this episode, please follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books and sign up for my mailing list at ZibbyOwens.com so you can always hear about the latest things I'm up to. Thanks a lot. Thanks to Blue Land Cleaning, our sponsor for today's episode. Blue Land Cleaning, get your single-use plastic packaging. Make that a thing of the past with this eco-friendly cleaning products company. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You could always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com. 